Truth News Network. A political party is willing to crash an entire country just to get rid of one man. What are they so afraid of? And how come nobody's asking that question? Well, one man is. In the relentless pursuit of the truth, you've reached TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's the man asking the tough questions, Dan Newman. No doubt about it. They are petrified of one man, they being the left, the far left, the existing, you know, the self-righteous ones in our government. They are horrified that the orange man might find his way back, some way slip through the cracks and get back into the Potomac Valley, move back into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and what would this nation become Well, I can tell you what it wouldn't become. It wouldn't become a far left, everybody in the tank for each other individually. Nothing about the rule of law. No protection from lawbreakers. Inflation out the wazoo. Nobody would trust anybody. That's what it will not turn into if we can just somehow make a regime change come 2024. A Biden administration part two, OMG. I got to be honest with you. There are a lot of people, a lot of people, many of who aren't even in government that could do a better job running this nation than the guy running the nation right now is doing. Forget about Donald Trump. Well, don't forget about Donald Trump, but many, many, many could do similar things as did Donald Trump in his four years. And I don't care. Don't even start preaching to me about he destroyed the democracy of this nation. No, 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 no. The exact opposite is true. You people who believe Donald Trump took us over the edge, you need to wake up, get some smelling salts, and come to your senses I can look back on the four years of the Trump presidency, lop off COVID, because COVID was bad no matter who was in office in any country on the planet. But look what happened before COVID and even operating the nation through COVID. And then at the end of the Trump administration, look at what happened. Wages went up. Prices went down. No inflation, absolutely none. Interest rates were low. We were paying less for a a gallon of gasoline than we had paid since the day Joe Biden became president. Supply chain issues? No. Status in the world where we were not only trusted, we were considered to be really substantive allies. All of that left when Joe Biden was inaugurated president. And if there was any shred of it left, it's gone now. Oh my gosh. Look at what's happening in the world around us. We're going to get into that this morning in this show. A lot of what we feared might happen has already happened. And that that we feared that hasn't happened yet, honestly, it's on its way. It ain't looking real good around the corner right now. We got to make some changes. Come November 2024, we 
got to make some changes. Get us back on the right track. Whatever it takes, let's get her done. Sitting by a foggy window Staring at the pouring rain Falling down like lonely teardrops Memories of love in vain These cloudy days They make you want to cry It breaks your heart When someone leaves And you don't know Glenn Fry had a heart as big as, oh, I don't know, 
the Big Apple. He had been through a bad, bad marriage. And he wasn't the best husband. I don't think anybody could ever argue that. I don't think Glenn Fry would have argued that. But he had a bad situation, and he hurt his wife. He really did. And she hurt him, which that often happens in relationships. We all know that. I mean, when somebody hurts their spouse, hurts their partner, the first reaction is for the other partner to hurt that one. I mean, two hurts don't make it right, don't make it good, don't make it better. But sometimes human nature just takes over. You know what I mean? It just so happened that years later, Glenn met the woman that his was his uh, his wife when he passed away. And uh, they were best friends. But she had been through a horrible relationship as well. And she just didn't trust anybody. She didn't trust Glenn. I mean, he had a bad relationship. He wasn't the best husband when he was married before. She didn't need another bad husband. And so they worked through things through a number of years. And he finally decided, look, I've got to make this woman mine. So he took her to dinner at his favorite restaurant. And actually it was her favorite restaurant. And I believe it was Manhattan. It may have been in Brooklyn. I don't know. It was in the greater New York City area. And he had it planned with the uh, purveyor of the restaurant. He parked his favorite guitar there in advance. And so when they ordered dinner before dinner came, he got the guitar and he pulled it out. And he played her the song that he had written for her. Now, here's what I'm going to do. You just heard that story. (laughs) Now you're saying, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I need to know what the words to the song said. Well, the title to the song is No More Cloudy Days. He's singing this to her. So listen to the first part. Of I won't make you listen to the whole thing, but listen to the words. No More Cloudy Days. Sitting by a foggy window Staring at the No more cloudy days 
your hanky (laughs) are you crying a little bit what a beautiful song that Glenn Fry wrote to the love of his life and they lived together and he died a really really tough death he wasn't caught up in drug addiction or anything like that he had a disease Uh, I can't even remember which one it was but uh, it wasn't one that you would think a hard driving rocker would pass away from But nevertheless, the last half of his life and the last love of his life, they were beautiful together. No one can say anything other than that. So you got all that for nothing this hump day. Welcome to TNN Live and Wednesday. For those of you that joined us late, you missed what that song the second time through was all about. And I guess what you'll have to do is just go back and listen to the show, at least the first part of it later today, because you really missed a good story. Well, we have much to talk about today that aren't good stories. In fact, very few of them are stories at all, but there are a lot of facts that we're going to bring to you. And it begins right here at the top. You may not be like me. I was a little bit taken aback when I heard that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Braggs sued Jim Jordan. That's right, yesterday, Tuesday, Jim Jordan was served a lawsuit over Trump indictments probe claims abuse does Alvin of congressional power. Hmm. The lawsuit seeks to block Jim Jordan. Also, by the way, the House Judiciary Committee from following through on a subpoena that Jordan issued to Mark Pomerantz. Now, who's Mark Pomerantz? Well, Mark is a former special assistant in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office who quit when Alvin Bragg took over. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Listen to this now. Mark Pomerantz doesn't work in Alvin Bragg's office, the federal attorney. He doesn't work there anymore. So what standing would Alvin Bragg have to sue the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee? And because the Judiciary Committee issued a subpoena to a former investigating attorney in Alvin Bragg's office, but wait a minute, it wasn't Alvin Bragg's office. Pomerantz had already quit before Alvin Bragg took over. This one's getting deep, isn't it? The suit also aims more broadly to put an end to this constitutionally destructive fishing expedition. And Bragg's in the suit when he said that is talking about Jordan's overarching investigation of Alvin Bragg himself. Bragg, according to a memo that was included in the filing, is not only looking to stop Jordan from, quote, 
enforcing this unlawful and unconstitutional subpoena by obtaining a temporary restraining order, but also to prohibit Mr. Pomerantz from complying with it. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? The memo described the move to subpoena Pomerantz, which was first reported by Breitbart News a week ago, as an abuse of congressional authority. Their latest salvo, the subpoena to Mr. Pomerantz, is an abuse of congressional process and a brazen incursion into New York's exercise of its sovereign prosecutorial powers, it stated. Jordan condemned Bragg's latest legal action in a statement online saying this, first, they indict a president for no crime. Then they sue to block congressional oversight when we ask questions about the federal funds they say they use to do it. Hmm, federal funds, Jim Jordan, House Judiciary Committee. Those things all seem to tie together to me. Jordan's committee likewise issued a statement online claiming that Bragg was scared of oversight. That's what Congress does. Oversight of all the money Congress allocates and spends on anything to do with the government. Why is Alvin Bragg scared of congressional oversight? Really makes you wonder. Pomerantz, just so you know, he resigned from Bragg's office in February of 2022. He was frustrated, and for that, he resigned. Frustrated that Bragg had put the Manhattan office's year-long Trump investigation that Pomerantz had been working on, Bragg put it on hold. Pomerantz went widely public with his grievances about Bragg's hesitation with prosecuting Trump. His resignation letter turned up in the New York Times of all places. And he went on to publish a book about the case against Trump after he left Bragg's office. Jordan initially wrote a letter to Pomerantz asking him to come and testify before Congress. So, despite Pomerantz being a private citizen, Bragg interceded in the matter by sending a letter to Pomerantz, instructing him not to provide Jordan with any materials relevant to Pomerantz's work at the Manhattan office. Pomerantz informed the committee he would be complying with Bragg, which led to Jordan subpoenaing Pomerantz. This is a really wonderful case for me. I'm going to follow this one all the way through. I like this. The lawsuit against a sitting congressman marks an escalation in an already heated back and forth between Bragg and Jordan. They've exchanged contentious letters about congressional Republicans' desire to prove what they view as a political rather than sincere prosecution of Trump. Bragg claims Congress doesn't have the authority to meddle in ongoing state criminal investigations. And of course, Bragg would have to prove that Congress is meddling in ongoing state criminal investigations here. Jordan argues that his committee has legislative cause to probe Bragg's activity and a responsibility to review Bragg's use of federal funds. That's what Congress does. Oversight. In the lawsuit, Bragg stated, in sum, Congress lacks any valid legislative purpose to engage in a free-ranging campaign of harassment 
in retaliation for the district attorney's investigation and prosecution of Mr. Trump under the laws of New York. That campaign is a direct threat to federalism and the sovereign interest of the state of the state of New York. This case is, if you want to look it up, you can find it. It's it's really good reading. Bragg v. Jordan, number 23, CV 3032, in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York. This is going to get even gooder. <laughs> I'm from the South, way South. This is going to get gooder. Well, you know, every few hours, some more news, sad news comes out of Louisville, that slaughter that occurred there yesterday, yesterday morning early at that bank. A man whose wife hid in the vault was hiding in the vault when that disgruntled former employee stormed the old National Bank and the shooter was armed with an assault rifle, they call it that, it's an AR-15, has described the traumatic phone call he received. Caleb Goodlett told reporters at the scene of the Louisville shooting on Monday he received a panic call from his wife while she was locked inside a vault of the bank and begged him to call 911. Fortunately, he said, Metro police were already aware of the situation. Authorities have said they arrived on the scene three minutes after the shooter, a man age 25, opened fire at a morning meeting, killing five people, injuring another eight. Think about that. Five dead, eight others wounded. The shooter was one of the, those killed at the scene following a shootout with police. Friends and neighbors have described the former high school sports star as soft-spoken, very friendly, and cannot understand what drove him to commit such violent acts. There was no warning anybody could find or hear or know of. Speaking to local news station WLKY as the investigation into the massacre continued yesterday, Goodlett said he received a phone call at about 8.30 in the morning from his wife rushed to the scene. I got a call from my wife panicking, saying that she was locked in the vault. There was an active shooter in the building and to call 911, he said. By the time I called 911, they were already aware of it. I was approaching the scene right at the first officers were approaching the scene. No time wasted. They tried to breach the building first. They were unsuccessful at the first breach. They backed off, pushed us back. We got people out of their cars in the middle of the street. And then we saw another round go back into the building. We heard multiple shots, and then everything got quiet. That's when an ambulance started arriving, fire so on and so forth. He said his wife, who he did not name, knew that the old National Bank's protocol for a situation like this is to hide in the vault, noting that it's the most secure place in the building said she was able to call while she was inside. It was just a very traumatic phone call to get right at 8.30 in the morning. But Louisville police did a great job closing the scene off. They went immediately, very impressive to watch from the street. You know, you watch the news, you see everything go down, you think of how you would handle the situation if it arose within your family, he said. Me and her have had that conversation several times. Hit the panic button. Go to the vault. Don't fight. Don't do anything. Lock yourself up. Hide and let it go. 
His wife survived the massacre that took the lives of Thomas Elliott, age 63, Joshua Barrick, age 40, Juliana Farmer, 45, James Tut, 64, and Deanna Eckert, 57. Two police officers were injured, including one listed in critical condition after being shot in the head and had brain surgery. Wow. Can you imagine waking up and going to work somewhere, never giving any thought to this even being a possibility? None of those people that day, I guarantee you, they didn't think about it when they headed to the bank for work. Authorities have said the shooter, who was recently fired from the bank, stormed into a conference room brandishing an AR-15 shortly after 8.30 a.m., around half an hour before the branch opened to the public. He was suicidal, friends said, and he live-streamed the shooting. Officers got on the scene within three minutes, found the shooter still firing. They exchanged fire, and the shooter died at the scene. Videos showed officers at the scene running out into the street during rush hour traffic, warning drivers to get out of the car because it was an active shooter. At least three gunshots could be heard in the footage. Photos also showed blood splattered on the steps leading up to the bank, broken glass on the ground. Officers were later spotted outside his Camp Taylor home, the shooter, taking possession of a computer as evidence. Now, many are left stunned that this shooter, who had a middle-class upbringing in Indiana and a quiet demeanor, could have taken up arms against his former employer, Neighbors described the 25-year-old and his housemate as good neighbors, seemingly very nice people. Kira Algier, who lived next door to him in Louisville, even went as far as to say she can't say anything bad about the guy, who she described as very quiet and soft-spoken. They invite us over for a couple of times for cookouts during the summer. You know, very friendly. I just don't understand. 25-year-old attended the University of Alabama before attending the Manderson Graduate School of Business at the same college. He had been working for Old National Bank as a syndications associate and portfolio banker since July of a year ago. That's according to his LinkedIn profile. Former friend and teammate from high school talking about the shooter has previously described him as smart, popular, a star athlete in high school track, football, and basketball. He was the 2016 winner for Boys Track Athlete of the Year and won the Evansville, Indiana Regional Crown in the 400 meter during the 2015-2016 track season, going on to finish 20th in the state meet. By the way, he was also named a National Merit Scholar winner back in 2015. You just never No, you never know. Don't point fingers at anybody in this. Please don't. There are too many moving parts and too many things that you don't know and I don't know and we don't know and we may never know. It's none of our business. These people, five dead, eight injured, they're gone. Their families' lives will never be the same the people they work with, the customers of that bank, 
friends, extended family members. Their lives are altered forever. Please, don't be one of those that jumps up on the high horse. And it's already begun. People like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, representative from New York, pontificates about everything, takes full authority like she knows everything about everything and everything about everybody and who's doing what and why. And everybody is evil that disagrees with her. There are thousands of others just like that. Nobody has a right to do that. Nobody has permission to do that. Don't get caught up in that. You have no idea how you would have reacted in those circumstances. You don't. Even about the shooter. We don't have any clue what the shooter was going through. I doubt very seriously if he woke up and said, hey, man, it's kind of warm outside. I think it may rain a little bit later today. It's about 70 degrees now. I tell you what, I think I'm going to put my shoes on and go down to the bank and kill a bunch of people. I don't think that happened. I really don't. I don't know that, but I doubt if it happened. But there was a lot going on behind the mask. You can book that. You heard what people were friends with him, what they said about him. He was quiet. He was kind. He always smiled and seemed happy. And yet, he committed murder and atrocities that will change thousands of people forever. And one thing for you, because we never know what the outcome is going to be, even if we could imagine something like this happening, every time you see those you love, when you kiss your kids goodbye on their way out to school, when you kiss your spouse goodbye on their way to work or taking the kids to school, always tell those you love that you love them. Tell them. Let them hear you say it. We never know when it's going to be the last time we see them, let alone the last time we're going to have to tell them we love them. I don't want to overplay um, anything about anything on this show. I will never reconcile terror. I will never reconcile murder. Never try to. There's no way to do it. I wouldn't stoop that low. Don't ever think that I think anything like this is okay for any reason. I learned something many years ago when we lost a granddaughter. Some of you know the story. Our youngest daughter and her husband waited to get pregnant for six years, got pregnant. Everybody was so happy. Things went well for a few months, and then Corey, our daughter, noticed something was wrong. They went to a specialist. They ran some blood work, some enzyme work, and found out the baby had an incurable disease that would mean she probably wouldn't live. And if she lived, she would be a basket case for the entirety of her life. And sure enough, about six months in, the baby quit moving, and Corey went back to the doctor. And sure enough, the baby had passed away. Corey had to carry that baby to term. Now think about that. 
never forget the feeling, the empty feeling in the pit of my stomach when I drove up to that cemetery for a private funeral that we had for our family. And I saw that little white casket sitting up there with Emerson, my granddaughter, inside. We can't imagine the horrors of death and how it impacts others around us. Thankfully, many of us have not experienced death in any way. But please know this. When it happens to you, when there are deaths in your family or in the lives of friends that you have, don't ever diminish their feelings, their emotions, how they express themselves. Nobody knows until it happens. Always hold them up support them. These people in Louisville, I promise you, that city, it's a great city. I love Louisville. I have some good friends, a bunch of good friends that live there. I hate what I know is going to happen to that city. Fear is gripping the city right now. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what might happen and what might be. Wow, let's move on to another story. Is there a better story out there? <laughs> there may be. I don't have any rah-rah stories today, but we do have news. Some of it not so good, but thankfully none of it is bad as that first one. 70% of Americans, 70% of us, that's a lot, folks, feel financially stressed in what they call Joe Biden's America. 70% of us feel financially stressed. Inflation that's fueled by Biden's war on American energy was the main driver of these Americans' stress, as 60% of respondents pointed to Biden's inflation as the main reason for their financial stress. On average, Biden's 40-year high inflation cost American household goods an extra $5,200 in 2022. That's $433 a month. 36% said increased interest rates cause stress. The Federal Reserve continued to raise rates in March to tamp down inflation, a decision subject to speculation by some financial experts as the central bank weighed reducing soaring inflation and the stability of the entire banking system, which is teetering. And that's at best right now. The interest rate hikes over the past year have negatively impacted impacted banks, influencing public economic sentiment. Nobody knows. Everybody's afraid of the unknown. What might happen? The recent failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and worries about the health of the U.S. financial system add to Americans' uncertainty. Only 13% of adults said they're very confident in our banking system. About a third said the recent banking crisis made them much more concerned about their own financial security. 42% said it made them somewhat more concerned. The poll revealed additional concerning trends like the amount of those living paycheck to paycheck and credit card delinquency rates. 58%, listen to that, 58% are living paycheck to paycheck. Struggling to make ends meet, many are relying on credit cards to cover any financial shortfalls. 
Meanwhile, nearly one quarter of those surveyed said credit card debt also contributed to their financial stress. Government data shows credit card balances are rising. Delinquency rates are increasing. Household debt levels surged by $38 billion in February from a year ago. That number is coming from the Federal Reserve. Only 45% of adults in the U.S. say they have an emergency fund. And for those who do have such savings, about 20% said they've less than $5,000 saved. That poll, by the way, surveyed 4,336 adults. It ain't good. And it seems to be getting worse. Seems be the operative word. Bite your tongue, Dan. It's not getting worse. In Jesus' name. We're going to be okay. Our first break is on the way, and when we come back, you're not going to guess where the Biden folks took off to, where they're headed on Air Force One as of yesterday afternoon, and who's on board. Hmm. That's next. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week Magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas? You ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Howdy. The streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a... Swing! <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. Guardian of the Truth, Knight of the Republic, Speaker of the Facts, Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network. 
Yesterday afternoon, nothing new, just an ordinary trip aboard Air Force One. President Joe Biden headed out to Ireland with two integral members of the Biden family. Speaking with reporters before the flight, Joe Biden said the trip to Ireland was scheduled for making such and making sure the Irish Accords and the Windsor Agreement stay in place, keep the peace. One of those critical, life-changing world things, you know, that Windsor Agreement. You sound asinine about that. I am. Look, Joe Biden's going to Ireland to celebrate. Everybody else in the world, very few others, are really celebrating. And other world leaders are having meetings with other world leaders and they're talking about critical things to the citizens in their countries. This trip coincides with the 1998 signing of the Good Friday Agreement that ended the conflict in Northern Ireland that lasted for about 30 years. Images of the departure show Joe Biden's sister, Valerie Biden-Owens, and Hunter Biden also on the flight with the president to Ireland. Both Valerie and Hunter are key business associates in the Biden's international business schemes. In other words, they're probably named partners in the Biden family syndicate. So they're qualified. They should be aboard any kind of overseas trip where the president can go and they can go tag along and take care of some business. Valerie's chair of the Biden Institute at the University of Delaware, which received more than $7 million in anonymous donations from China. We know they're from China, but they're anonymous, including direct funding from the Chinese government. All of that happened after Joe Biden set up a program under his name. It was first reported back in February. Some email exchanges between Valerie, Hunter, and business associates show the Biden family planned to cash in on the family name at the university's Biden Institute. The emails also show the business partners discussing ways to carefully distance Joe from financial documents outlining the deal. Here's a synopsis of it. Listen closely. You don't want to miss this. In a series, I need some Mission Impossible music or something. In a series of email exchanges that included Hunter Biden, Valerie Biden-Owens, Joe's sisters, who called Hunter Biden the central person in the UD plans, two of Owens' daughters, Joe's nieces, and various Biden business associates, they discussed ways that they could benefit from Biden's academic ventures and having the Biden Foundation or a family member sign a memorandum of understanding on behalf of the vice president. That, of course, was Joe. This all happened when he was still working for Barack Obama. Emails from Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop show that University of Delaware and Team Biden negotiated ways to compensate Biden family members, including Joe Biden's sister, Valerie Biden-Owens. The Biden Institute is also a facet of Joe's classified document scandal. The FBI searched the University of Delaware for Joe's mishandled classified documents and retrieved materials from two separate locations, 
That's according to CNN back in February. It's not the first time Joe had taken family members abroad. Hunter has taken 411 trips across 29 countries. Did you get that? 411 trips, and you and I paid for every one of them. And and also, Secret Service for Hunter Biden, even the trips that Hunter didn't have Joe with him. 29 countries. That's between 2009 the middle of 2014. Now that, by the way, is according to Secret Service travel records. One of the 411 trips was to Beijing, China in 2013 under the trappings of a family vacation. That's where every family wants to go, to Beijing, to meet with Xi Jinping (laughs) and a bunch of other Chinese tycoons to cut a big, 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 big business deal, vacation family style. Ten days after they went to China, Hunter secured a 10% interest in BHR Partners, a Chinese state-backed investment fund co-founded with Chinese private equity executive Jonathan Lee. There's a website for BHR Partners. It boasts 15 billion RMB in various portfolio companies, translating to more than $2 billion U.S. dollars. Hunter has allegedly divested his 10% interest in the fund. His lawyer claimed in November of 2021, no proof that happened. They just said, oh, he's no longer in. The business license for Hunter's company founded in Washington, which holds the 10% stake in BHR Partners, Schenectady's LLC as a name, was revoked upon dissolution in September of 2021, many months after Joe went into office. Interesting. It's unknown who purchased the 10% stake or where Hunter's 10% share was transferred. Chinese records show that that company still owns 10% and BHR partner. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer, who is investigating the Biden family syndicate for nine violations, has demanded the president's son disclose troves of documents and communications relevant to this entire debacle. Hunter's Chinese business ventures yielded about $25 million from Chinese businessmen tied to the highest level of Chinese intelligence. In 2018 and 2020, Breitbart Senior Contributor and Government Accountability Institute President Peter Schweitzer published a book, Secret Empires and Profiles in Corruption. Each book went to number one, number one on the New York Times bestseller list and exposed how Hunter and Joe flew aboard Air Force Two in 2013 to China before Hunter's firm inked that $1.5 billion deal with the subsidiary of the Chinese government's Bank of China less than two weeks after the trip was over. Schweitzer's work also uncovered the Biden family's other vast and lucrative foreign deals and cronyism. We could go on and on and on telling you about what has been exposed out there. What we can't tell you is why, who specifically initiated, negotiated, and directly was responsible for putting those deals to bed, so to speak. We can't tell you that. 
but Representative Comer and his oversight committee are dead set. They're going to get it. They're going to get to the bottom of it. Now, why are they after Hunter Biden? I'm tired of hearing people ask that question. None of this is about Hunter Biden other than to find out what the heck he did to open the door. None of this would happen if it was just Hunter Biden. Believe me, Xi Jinping and his cronies in China, they don't give a rip, didn't then, don't now about Hunter Biden. The only thing they cared about Hunter Biden is his last name and the fact that Hunter said, oh, yeah, I'll open the door to my daddy. You know, the former vice president, now, by the way, in case you didn't know it, he's president of the United States, and he can open any door and sign any executive order and get anything done. Screw the U.S. Congress. He's going to do it by executive order. So it is written. So let it be done. Yeah, I'm going a little bit over the top there, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is hard, cold fact. Now, let me tell you a little Hunter Biden additional news. His lawyer has gone public and is talking about things about Donald Trump that the lawyer knows is going on. Hunter's lawyer. Here's more with that. A new report says that Hunter Biden's lawyer... Uh, claimed in a message that Trump's indictment will continue. He said this, don't worry if you miss the Trump news, there will be three more over the next few weeks. Mark, what I'd like to know is how does Hunter Biden's lawyer know any of this about the next investigation or the next DA that's going to drop an indictment on Trump? Is the White House behind all of this? When, when you look at, at Hunter Biden, I mean, the guys, he would be an absolute nobody if Joe Biden wasn't his father. But it seems like this guy, he's so well connected. He's got everybody in his back pocket. I mean, he's got the FBI. Yeah. He's got prosecutors. He's got, you know, the social media companies all in his back pocket protecting him. I mean, he's got more allies than an organized crime family does. It's, so it's, it's nuts. Well, but I mean- to, To your point, yes, I do think, obviously, this has a lot to do with the White House and President Biden. I mean, Kara, this was all reported by the Daily Mail. They got their hands on the text messages from, and this is the lawyer who paid all Hunter Biden's bills. He, He texts that there are three more coming after the Manhattan DA's indictment. Well, yeah, it's the Biden crime family, plain and simple. Uh, you, they, this is a, a, a cabal, frankly, of elites who uh, know more than we do, who, as Mark said, they have an apparatus at their disposal. They're inflating the definition of things like domestic extremism, as we talked about earlier, to uh, turn a lot of these, again, this infrastructure on the American people. So I, I think this is just part and parcel of the, the Biden family corruption. And I'm not surprised wow. in the slightest that they have uh, insight that we everyday Americans don't. So what is it? Is Hunter Biden just bulletproof? Is Joe Biden bulletproof? Does it matter to them? Do they even care what the American people feel about what the American people know? It's no longer a question of is it happening? Has it gone on? Is it corrupt? Now, the only question remains is how bad is it And how wide does it go wide? And who does it encompass besides 
the Biden family members that we already know about? How many other people are involved in it? And then the big question, did they really think they could get away with it? Did Joe Biden think that he wasn't going to be held accountable for it? Now, somebody listening may be laughing right now. Dan, you think he's going to be held accountable? I really don't know, but I don't see any way around it. I honestly don't, unless he might come up with some far-fetched idea that we've heard in the context of Donald Trump. We've been told by constitutional experts that a president, besides being able to pardon anybody that president chooses to pardon, can pardon himself and can even do so in advance. (laughs) Now, that was in the context of the left going crazy about Donald Trump. Oh, if he's convicted, he'll he'll just give himself a pardon. And now we're looking at a scenario in which we may have a president that says, you know what? I think I may just pull that lever for me. Good old me. Wow. This story's long from over. Long from over. And the subpoenas are flying and banks have actually laid down and started sending Representative Comer's committee all those uh, banking records that they requested. And guess what they're showing? They're showing the corruption really did happen. And it's really difficult to follow the daisy chain. You know why? Here's what they have done. They hide the ownership. There's no money that's being wired to Hunter Biden or Joe Biden. They've created these um, shell corporations, little companies that have a bank account, and it goes there, and then that little company transfers it to another little company. And none of the ownership of these little companies point back to the Bidens. You know why? They hire law firms. Law firms create corporations, and they show the ownership managed by such and such a law firm. Some states you don't even have to put in your corporate uh, application who the owner actually is. And so it's peeling back layer after layer after layer. Meanwhile, I thought it was interesting in the middle of all of this, former President Trump's favorability among Republicans is ticked up again. And it, it happened the day after The indictment came down two days after that, two days after that, it did again yesterday. It's been one week since Trump appeared in New York for his arraignment, where he was charged with 34 counts of falsifying business records, and he pled not guilty to each of the 34. Recent polls have suggested that the indictment will only backfire on Democrats and make it more difficult for other Republican hopefuls in the 2024 presidential race. One YouGov, Y-O-U-G-O-V, a YouGov poll released on the day Trump turned himself in, for example, found most agreeing the indictment would either make Trump stronger or have no effect at all. Further, an Insider Advantage poll released ahead of his arraignment also found most Republicans felt that the indictment is making them more supportive of the former president. The latest morning consult Survey shows Trump's favorability ticking up yet again from 76% two weeks ago to 77% last week to 78% this week. 
and his unfavorable rating has dropped two points as well. It went from 21 to 19%. Meanwhile, the Florida Gov, Ron DeSantis, experienced a four-point drop in favorability over the last seven days, falling from 73% last week to 69% this week. The percentage of those looking at him in an unfavorable manner has increased two points over the last week as well, and that's grown from 12 to 14%. That coincides with the main results of the poll, which showed Trump ticking up in support, DeSantis dropping three, the gap between them has expanded from 29, a 29-point lead for Trump to a 33-point lead today. Trump's at 56%, DeSantis 23%, former VP Pence 7 Nikki Haley 4%, Liz Cheney of all people 3%, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas 1%, Ramaswamy 1%, Mike Pompeo 1%, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, 1%. Tim Scott, 1%. Asa Hutchinson, 1%. The only other potential candidate who got more than 50% favorability is Mike Pence. 61 view him favorably. However, he has one of the highest unfavorable ratings of those listed at 27%. Meanwhile, candidates Vivek Ramaswamy, Asa Hutchinson suffer from a lack of name recognition. 52% said they never heard of Ramaswamy. 46 said the same of Asa Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson. The poll was taken April 7th through 9th of this year. 3,600 potential Republican primary voters. Why do you concentrate on these? I don't concentrate. I think anybody that hangs around this show long enough knows that we look at trends and trends only. You and I both know people that participate in these surveys often manipulate their answers to somehow impact the person that's talking to them on the other end of the line. For whatever reason or reasons, they they do that. And so you know, there's going to be a plus or mine, favorable, up or down, yada, yada, yada. And we just watch the trends. Basically what's happening is favorability among Republicans, certainly among Republicans for Trump, is ticking up, and it's still ticking up. And for DeSantis, it's ticking down. And I don't think it has anything negative to do with Ron DeSantis. People are beginning to look at DeSantis now, even though he hasn't, hasn't come out and said he's going to run at all. I mean, he's not even slipped an, uh, uh, an inference out there about it like Joe Biden did yesterday. <laughs> Joe Biden was asked, and uh, he said this, and this is the longtime NBC News morning weather guy, Al. Can't think of Al's last name. I don't watch NBC very much. Anyway, I'll ask him, are you going to run? And Biden went off on some indistinguishable tirade of a bunch of words, a word salad and nothing else, no substance there. But he said, I'm planning on running, but I haven't decided yet. Now, you just figure that part out. <laughs> I, I think Joe Biden is still trying to figure out, am I up? Is the sun up or is it nighttime? 
And I think that happens pretty regularly. We're going to take another break. When we come back on the other side, there's some very interesting appeals court news coming out about dozens of those January 6th cases. Hmm. There's just been a lot of stuff that has been kept quiet behind the scenes, very carefully protected while these trials have been getting underway. And now some of that information is slipping out and it's not looking good for folks like the Department of Justice and the FBI. We've got those details and a whole lot more just ahead. Back in a moment. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Summer seems even brighter when you've been inside a while. It's time to drive again with Honda, KBB.com's 2020 Best Value Brand. You could get a great deal on the 2020 Passport or 2020 Pilot, with financing as low as 0.9% APR on select models. Visit the Honda Summer Clearance Event today. For well-qualified buyers, see dealer for financing details based on 2020 brand image source from Kelly Blue Book. Visit KBB.com for more information. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Again, Dan Newman. And truth always comes out. It just has this way. It's permissious. It's sticky. You know, just when you want to hide it. You remember when you didn't want to tell your mom the truth? You remember those things and you kind of hem-hawed around? Well, truth kind of, it gets sticky and it just finds a way to slip on around You thought you got rid of it, but it stuck to your pants and you turned around and mom said, "Uh uh-huh, I got you. You're busted. I think the same thing holds true for a lot of these politicians in the world around us. They think they've done stuff they've gotten away with and sure enough, they turn around and there it is sticking right on the back seat of their pants. I'm glad that happens, to be quite honest with you, or in many cases, we would never know what the facts are. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the name Van Jones? Van Jones. Van Jones is a very distinguished-looking and a very distinguished African-American man. I think Van probably, 
let's see, he's probably around 50 years old, maybe a year or two either side of that. But he's been with CNN for a long time. And he's a political reporter. And he has, in many cases in the past, I've seen him be very, very um, thought-provoking in some of the positions he's taking. Now, what does that mean, Dan? What I mean is he's not a hardcore leftist. He's not a typical CNN pundit. He's not always anti-anything and everything that is conservative or Republican. And he's not always nasty about Donald Trump. He is sometimes. But he made some observations a few days ago after the Trump indictment and came down. Dave Rubin, Dave Rubin, one of my favorite podcasters, other than me, <laughs> Dave Rubin and his, his show, I, uh, I get some of his sound bites. Sometimes I see them, and you hear a few of them here. But I'm not even sure if you'll hear Dave in the soundbite, but he pointed something out for us. Van Jones, in conversation about the indictments, the arraignment and indictments of Donald Trump last week, he seemed a little bit concerned. You guys are going to be completely shocked right now because every now and again, something sane happens, or at least roughly sane, happens on CNN. And Van Jones, who is sometimes sane, sometimes completely insane, he, I think he sort of said something sane here related to all, all of this. I mean, I'm throwing this up to the two panels. Does this hurt the other cases uh, right now being pursued? I, I, I worry. I mean, look, if this is the only pebble that gets thrown at Donald Trump, uh, it's a very small pebble. If it's the first pebble in an avalanche of other indictments that strike more to the heart of, I think, people's core concern about Donald Trump, which is his threat to democracy. So if this is the first pebble, the next one is about the election interference in Georgia. The next one is about the, 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 the coup, the insurrection, January 6th. Uh, the next one's about him hoarding these documents and, and why. Then it, it begins to fit. But if this is the only pebble, it's not much of a pebble. And I do think it could, it could uh, uh, the, the backlash against this pebble might cow other people who might otherwise have been courageous enough to step forward. I was going to say two observations. First, to, to Alyssa's point, you know, today, this, this morning we saw he had an away game in a very unfriendly stadium, right? Tonight, he's got a home game in front of a home crowd who are riled up. It is, it's like a homecoming. He'll be, he'll, be, he'll be jubilant. I should qualify my own remarks. You know, sometimes uh, Van Jones says something sane, but he also is saying insane things at the same time. The core concern that most people have is Donald Trump's threat to democracy. I mean, I think half the country right now thinks the other side is a oh. threat to democracy. Let's oh, just yeah. put that out there. Uh, but my point on the sanity side was that if this is the only pebble, meaning that he's arguing in a way that this isn't that much. John, what do you think of the, the case itself right now? These 34 charges, it sounds like most of them should have been misdemeanors. They've been boosted to felonies. You know, we got Stormy Daniels, now owes Trump money. The whole right. thing is so confusing. <laughs> Well, well, let me tell you what the biggest problem is with this case. First of all, the case is a big nothing, right? I, I don't see how this ever survives uh, an appeal on the statute of limitations issue alone. But, mm -hmm. but here's how preposterous the 34 counts are. They're, they've charged 34 counts on the same payout because it was done in installments. So when I worked in a robbery interdiction unit, this is equivalent to me arresting someone for armed robbery. They walk into a bodega in Queens, Jeff, and they stick a gun in the, uh, in the clerk's face and they get a hundred bucks out of the register. 
But instead of me charging one count of robbery in the first degree, because the clerk counted out 10 $10 bills for the 100 bucks, <laughs> I charged 10 counts of robbery. The DA would laugh at me and knock it down to one count for 100 bucks. So that alone is preposterous. And I'll go as far as to say unprecedented. But I do think Georgia and the feds are going to come with subsequent indictments that might have a little bit more meat. This New York case to me is frivolous nonsense. Now, a New York City judge is never going to dismiss this. I should say there's a 98% chance they won't dismiss it. Anything could happen. But I don't see how this could ever survive on an appeal. Interesting. Wisdom there from Dave Rubin. I don't know who the other guy talking there beside Dave was. Um, I guess you basically just heard a little bit of both sides of Van Jones as Dave Rubin described. But the case itself, those 34 counts, and the fact that there is no federal statute that this possibly could be turned into. It's impossible. Why is that? Alvin Braggs can't argue federal issues. He's a state court district attorney. He's not a federal attorney. Did you follow that? How can he make charges, which he would have to make, a federal charge to be able to turn it into a felony because the statute of limitations long expired on a state case. It just goes around and around and around. And you can imagine a lot of things as me and many others have and still do about this. There is no doubt on this planet, this is a political hit job. And sometimes I don't even want to agree with Donald Trump because he's right but he's never just right. You know what I mean? He's never just right. When he's right, he always smears it in everybody's face. <laughs> and so I never want to, I'm not, I don't want to say never. I got, you know me, I agree with Donald Trump on almost every bit of his politics. I do. The only thing I don't like about Donald Trump, and I've been able to swallow hard and get along with it because it resonates with a lot of other blue collar people is his messaging, I wish there was a way he could tone it down. I wish he could say the same things, but use different terminology and lingo and facial expressions <laughs> and adjectives. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. The guy is pretty crude sometimes, but I get it. I understand he grew up in business where he's very successful, and he grew up in Queens, Queens dealing with Labor unions, blue-collar workers, and labor unions. And oh, by the way, you want to build a skyscraper, you deal with labor unions. And you got to get down in the mud to even live through that kind of stuff. I told you we had some January 6th case information. And this, I think, is kind of interesting. Yesterday, Steve Baker, on our Tuesday show, as he is every Tuesday, we didn't talk yesterday much about the January 6th stuff. In fact, I don't think we even mentioned it. We talked about the rule of law and the lawlessness going on in the United States and the where both of us think that this whole thing could be headed. If you missed that show yesterday, make sure you go and grab it. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Facebook, Amazon, and about 20 other ones, and grab yesterday's show, TNN Live, 
and put yesterday's date in and it'll pop up. You need to listen to the second hour at least when Steve Baker and I broke it down. And I had not heard anybody but us do that, break it down like we did yesterday. And uh, a lot of people have picked up on that. And I think it means some real significant stuff and it will maybe help you understand some things. But back to the J6 stuff. In April's, April 7th decision that was issued by the D.C. Court of Appeals, it looks like there's a good chance it's going to jeopardize a key legal backing that was used by the Department of Justice in their prosecution of participants of the January 6, 2021 Capitol breach. What this opinion did do was, and this is according to Attorney Albert Watkins, what this D.C. Court of Appeals ruling did was practically beg for other J6 cases to be brought up to the Court of Appeals that would permit a more balanced opinion. Watkins said this. He's represented four of those January 6 defendants, including release prisoner Jacob Chansley. Watkins' comment came after a three-judge panel at the D.C. Court of Appeals on April 7th struck down a lower court's ruling in a two-to-one vote dismissing a federal charge against three January 6 defendants and rejected the lower court's reasoning about the scope of the obstruction charge. The higher court's ruling allowed the DOJ's prosecution of these three specific defendants, Joseph Fisher, Edward Lang, and Garrett Miller, allowed them to continue while they did that, the impact of the higher court's opinion extends beyond these cases. Now, this is according to the attorney Watkins. This extended impact, he says, has to do with the interpretation of a term about corrupt intention in the wording of obstruction charges, considering that the Department of Justice has been using the obstruction charge as an attractive legal tool to prosecute many of these J6 cases and score plea agreements. According to a provision in the statute for obstruction charge, quote, whoever corruptly, otherwise obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding or attempts to do so shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. A narrow definition of this provision could stop the DOJ's ability to use the charge further and introduce uncertainties in the ongoing trials, this attorney has indicated. The DOJ charged more than 200 January 6th defendants with obstruction-related charges. It should cause a certain degree of trepidation on the part of the DOJ about utilizing, in a very footloose and fancy-free fashion, the obstruction of an official proceeding charge as the count of choice For these plea deals, Watkins said. I will say it was, in many respects, he said, an extraordinary opinion. More time was spent addressing potential issues not before the court than the issues actually before the court. The key issue here is the interpretation of a necessary component of the obstruction charge, namely the definition of the term, quote, corrupt intent, end quote. The appeals court ruling indicates that the DOJ prosecutor set forth an interpretation of corrupt criminal obstructive conduct as having a 
broad meaning that encompasses all forms of obstructive conduct, including appeals, alleged violent efforts to stop Congress from certifying the results of the 2020 presidential election. But all three judges of the D.C. Court of Appeals expressed some level of concern in this April 7th ruling about whether the government's current interpretation of corrupt intent is the right one. Biden appointee Florence Pan, who wrote the majority opinion, indicated that the definition of corrupt intent should be determined in a later case. At least one pending case on this court's docket squarely raises the definition of corruptly under the law, Pan wrote. It is more prudent to delay addressing the meaning of corrupt intent until that issue is properly presented in the court. Trump appointee Justin Walker, in his opinion, partially concurring with the ruling diverged from Pan's view that corrupt intent should be interpreted later and wrote, in his opinion, the term should be precisely defined to avoid criminalizing legal civil discourse. Establishing a corrupt intent requires proving that a defendant intended to obtain a benefit that he knows is unlawful. This is Walker, Judge Walker, wrote this, adding that this interpretation is narrower than the one offered by the government. Without a narrow definition, Walker wrote, the obstruction charge could become implausibly broad and thus criminalize many lawful attempts to influence congressional proceedings, protest, or lobbying, for example. A narrow definition could be applied to a hypothetical January 6th protester. This rioter joined the throng outside Congress because he was angry at the nation's elites. He saw the riot as an opportunity to display his bravado. Though likely guilty of other crimes, he did not act corruptly under the statute because he did not intend to procure a benefit by obstructing the Electoral College vote count. It's yet to be seen if Walker's opinion will become a binding precedent on the lower courts. Walker contends that it should be. He cited the Supreme Court's reasoning in Mark v. United States 1977, which says the narrowest concurring opinion should be the binding opinion. Pan, objecting to this point in a footnote, says the D.C. Court of Appeals has never applied Mark's opinion to its own cases and that only one federal appellate court has done so. In a strongly worded objection to his two colleagues on April 7th, in that ruling that reversed the lower court's decision, Trump appointee Gregory Katsas said the breadth of his colleagues' interpretation of the word corrupt would continue to supercharge comparatively minor advocacy, lobbying, and protest offenses into 20-year felonies, provided the defendant knows he is acting unlawfully in some little way. A lobbyist who successfully persuades a member of Congress to change a vote has likewise influenced an official proceeding. So has a peaceful protester who, attempting to sway votes, holds up a sign in the Senate gallery before being escorted away. Of course, this case involves rioting as opposed to peaceful advocacy, lobbying, or protest, but the construction of corrupt intent adopted by my colleagues will sweep in all of the above. In other words, folks, 
all these cases that have been appealed out. Now, now let me tell you what has gone on. There haven't been very many convictions of these January 6th offenders. There have been a lot of cases that have been resolved, and if you listen to the Department of Justice, they'll say, oh, we had 100 people that pled guilty. Yeah, they were all adjudicated. Here's how the DOJ does it, the same way the IRS does it. The FBI, when they make arrests and they come after somebody, they're going to get that somebody. They're going to get them for something, somehow. And they, if they're going to try to cut a deal, if they don't want to go the whole distance in the court, of course, they won't tell the defendant nor the defendant's attorney that they don't want to go all the way because they have a weak case or anything. The way they phrase this is this way. Look, this is costing you a fortune. This attorney here, your attorney in federal court, criminal court, oh my gosh, you're talking about hundred dollars to $300,000 to defend it. We can make this go away. We're willing to work a deal with you. But listen to what I'm about to tell you. In every single instance, it's just like when the IRS comes after you. When the IRS offers you a deal, when the FBI offers you a deal, every one of those offers comes with one mandatory thing that is unnegotiable. You have got to plead guilty. They have got to be able to mark this as a plus for them. They get you to plead guilty. And then you get your deal. If this appeals court ruling stands, and if it holds up, most of the cases, in most of these cases, the corrupt verbiage has been used in the charges of these people. And it's all going to come into play. I don't think these people will be allowed or will want to even appeal these things. There are going to be motions, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens, to have these cases thrown out. So what does this mean, Dan? Let me tell you what it means. It means the Biden Department of Justice is going to spend billions of your dollars to keep that from happening. They're going to pile on with all kinds of court filings on top of court filings, making it apparent to everybody in the federal judicial system, we're not going to turn around and walk away from this. We're not going to let it stand. This may be the most topsy-turvy judicial process that has ever happened in United States history. And I got to tell you, I think we're a long way from seeing it resolved. A long way. This is going to go on for years and years and years. There's something else going on in the world of legal and judges. One judge has threatened some parents with some massive penalties for doing what? For challenging school anti-racism dogma. 
two teachers who are challenging the constitutionality of compelled anti-racism training have been ordered to pay nearly $313,000 in their Missouri school district's legal fees under a ruling that their lawyers called overtly hostile and meant to scare off future lawsuits by parents and teachers. What's this all about? The Southeastern Legal Foundation is appealing U.S. District Judge Douglas Harpool's summary judgment in favor of Springfield Public Schools and the six-figure award against their clients Brooke Henderson and Jennifer Lumley. The public interest litigation firm has never faced attorney fee sanctions for challenging unconstitutional government action at any level in nearly 50 years of so-called Section 1983 civil rights lawsuits against public officials. That's according to SLF litigation director Braden Buchik in a press release. General Counselor Kimberly Herman called Harpool, a longtime Democrat elected official in Missouri appointed to the bench by President Obama, a lone agenda-driven federal judge determined to deny concerned teachers and parents the right to seek redress in court. Henderson and Lumley filed the First Amendment compelled and chilled speech suit against the district in the summer of 2021. In it, they alleged the equity training forces employees to discuss their places on an oppression matrix advocate for changes in political, economic, and social life and disclose personal details that they want to keep private. Harpel's January 12th summary judgment in favor of the district cited a total lack of injury on the part of the teachers that may suggest a groundlessness that trivializes the important work of the federal judiciary, foreshadowing the legal bludgeoning they would face on attorney's fees in his March 31st order approving the full award sought by the district. Even so, no one could have anticipated the massive award based on SLF's track record. SLF filed a similar suit around the same time on behalf of fired Illinois drama teacher Stacy Demar, alleging that Evanston Skokie School District 65 teachers, students, and teachers not only how to be racist, but that they should be racist. The docket shows the original judge requested supplemental briefing on the district's motion to dismiss in September, but left the federal bench, and I just lost my space. Hang on just a second. I want to go back. This is a really big case, a really big case. Computers. (laughs) Computers. I just lost it. Dadgummit. I can't believe this. This kind of stuff doesn't happen very often. Thankfully, it doesn't happen. But anyway, the point is, these this judge has piled on these parents and these teachers and is basically saying, hey, they're on the other side. They're the bureaucracy in this, and this court's going to come down on the side of the bureaucrats, and the very fact that you reached out to exercise your, what you believe to be constitutional rights, don't matter in this particular case. You can forget about it. And it's making them pay $311,000 
in court costs that the school board said that they spent. You don't think that's going to light up some people, that it's going to cause some people to back away from exercising their constitutional rights in court? When Big Brother comes after you and tries to make you get into the social engineering thing and just stick your head face down and shut up and not say a thing. That's what this is all about, the freedom of speech, the freedom of expression. And I don't need to tell you this, but this is growing exponentially. It's getting bigger. It's getting stronger. It's getting more and more pervasive. And folks, we have not begun to see the end of this. In fact, I think the left is just getting started. And unless and until the American conservative people are committed to get the rule of law and law enforcement back in place, to get the First Amendment rights and our Second Amendment rights back in front and center in the hearts and minds of the American people, unless and until that happens, I think big government is going to continue to spend your tax dollars and mine and just eke away, eke away at the structure of our democracy all the while telling everybody, if you don't listen to us, this is coming from the left, if you don't listen to us, we're going to trumpet from the house types, uh, housetops around the world that you're a fascist and you are doing your best to destroy our democracy when it's exactly opposite of that. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she proved that over the weekend, and she didn't even know she did in what she said on national television. We talked about it yesterday. Got more coming up right after this. Don't miss our iHeartRadio at-home session with Jesse McCartney. Presented by Hellman's, an exclusive and intimate performance. At a time when we're craving live music. Watch Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on iHeartRadio's YouTube. Missing that restaurant flavor at home this summer? Hellman's is bringing crave-worthy flavors to you. Serving up new drizzle sauces that you can put on pretty much anything. With flavors like cilantro lime, roasted garlic, and creamy chili honey, you can drizzle, dip, and dress to make home the best restaurant around. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger, the Flame Fresh Taste. Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame-broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, yeah there it is. Yeah, there it is. Get the new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger with double the Flame Fresh Taste. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, 
visit Orphan.org. coming from another school district in the United States, public school district that has gotten involved in gender, gender, gender stuff. And this story is going to blow your mind. But what I wanted to not miss in today's show, and we've, we're in our last half hour of the show, Matt Gates, Representative Matt Gates out of Florida, He's become a, a really hot dog when it comes to questioning people in these House committees and subcommittees. And he did just that yesterday. And he really got in the grill of somebody. You got to listen to this, and you'll find out who it is and what this is about at the end of this soundbite. Matt Gates, representative from Florida. Go back to the tweets of the racist person that works for you. What does caudacity mean? I have no idea, Congressman. You took six months to investigate one tweet? You didn't even figure out what the words meant? I didn't investigate the thing. She's a DOD. Well, uh, you said in a Fox News article that you were going to take 30 days and investigate, and it took you six months. In in a six-month investigation, you guys didn't learn what caudacity meant? I think you know. I think every person that's going to watch this exchange knows you know. It's, It's She's trying to lash audaciousness with someone being Caucasian, isn't she? I have no idea, Congressman. Wow, what an investigation. When she well, does PD I did sessions, not, I will says, say I did not do the investigation. She is a, a GS employee that's employed by Dodia. Well, Dodia conducted the investigation. Gosh, uh, the Pentagon told Fox News Digital that Gil Cisneros would provide a final decision in 30 days. So they gave, so someone at the Pentagon is throwing your name out there as being responsible for this, and now it looks foolish that you're suggesting you don't know what that means. PD, well, I would say PD, that, let, hold on, that quote sessions. did not come from let's me. Go to, let's go to this, Mr. Cisneros. From. What's a PD session? Um, my guess would be personal development. Personal development. You don't think it's professional development? Another open matter for the investigation that it didn't resolve. So you don't know what caudacity means. She's obviously talking about professional development there. And like when she says, I had to stop, or let's go to the next claim. The caudacity to say that black people can be racist too. Mr. Cisneros, can black people be racist too? I've already stated, Congressman, that I didn't agree with her statements. But Uh, I'm asking about that provision. Can black people be racist? Uh, This, this... Question is about me or my personal beliefs, but again, well, I, you're the I don't, leading official I, over DEI. I a racist person who works for you puts out these tweets, and you won't say whether you agree or disagree. I told with you, I said, Mr. Chairman, I, I just don't want to remind members to observe standards of decorum. This is okay? decorum. It's my time. Can black people be racist? I do. I do not agree with that tweet. Do you agree with that statement? I'm asking you a statement. Can black people be racist? I'm not going to answer that, Congressman. Why not? Because it's, it's, you're asking me a personal opinion, and that's not what this well, is Actually, about. I'm asking you in your capacity as a senior DOD official in the Biden administration who is where we see recruiting falling off the table, whether or not the embrace of racist tweets, whether shuffling these people around rather than firing them, and whether 
this little exchange here is helping or hurting recruiting. Let's go ahead and put up the recruiting. I, I will tell you, we do not support racist tweets. We do not support racism. Well, did you military. fire this lady? Again. You hired I, her. As I stay, I did not hire her. As she DOD was, hired her. As, as it was stated earlier, she's a DODIA employee. She's a GS employee. The inquiry that was done said these, these tweets were done on a personal matter. Oh, a personal matter. It, it How was, do you know it's it a personal matter personal, if you don't know that the PD could stand within, for professional development? And Mr. Cisneros, within. this is a professional development session where she attacked white colleagues and took the position that black people can't be racist. Now, you can't answer basic questions about it, and here's what I would propose to you. This is what we're looking at in recruiting right now. It's fallen off the table. And when you have employees that you don't fire who do racist things and say racist things, then you really hurt the ability to recruit people who want to be part of, a, of an inclusive and diverse force. I would say the data that we have is not, the recruiting is not falling off because of that. But again, the Department of Defense, Dodia, does not agree with the tweets that she made. It was she at three o'clock during the workday. You didn't fire her. If someone puts out racist things, do you fire them or do you just move them around? That was not an official, that was not an official, that's her own personal See, Twitter here's, account. Here's the problem with the double standard, Mr. Cisneros. When Caucasian members of the military post about the Second Amendment or supporting building the wall, you all seem to be on a white supremacy snipe hunt. You seem to take people's personal views and weaponize them against them. And I've had people in my district who serve that wonder whether or not some joke that they forwarded or meme that they liked is going to result in the ruining of their careers. But you have no such interest when it's a person like this. You delayed the investigation. Your own name was what, on, what DOD put out as conducted the investigation. You delayed it. This lady makes like $160,000 a year. Do you really think today the taxpayer should be paying this lady that amount of money? The uh, investigation was not conducted by me. That was never... Well, why did the Pentagon say it was you? I don't know who the uh, Pentagon in that said that, but I will tell you it was a misstatement. But Mr. Chairman, I seek to enter... The investigation was well, conducted what, by Dodia because she's a Dodia employee. Well, it, 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 if you just fired racist people, then maybe you wouldn't have to go through this. But Mr. Chairman, I have a series of unanimous consent requests. Without objection. So, so first is Pentagon drags out decision after probe into woke diversity chief accused of anti-white people's tweets. The second is Wing selected as DODEA Chief of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and that uh, is from DODEA.edu. The next is Everybody Can Be Racist, DOD Chief Diversity Educator Defends Tweets Targeted Toward White Educators. Mr. Cisneros, are you familiar with the tweet? It's both on the screens, it should be up there and right behind me, by the former DODEA Chief of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Kalisa Wing. That is just a recycle about the same incident. And the reason I wanted you to hear that, this guy is over the Division of Diversity and Inclusion in the Department of Defense. It spans every military service. This is the guy, you know, the one where they say the buck stops here. Anything and everything going on in the, anyway, in diversity and training and teaching and people that are a part of that department that are involved in management. This is the guy, the Pentagon, the guys at the top, they put it out there to the media. Hey, this guy, he's over all this. He's the guy you want to talk to. And you heard Congressman Gates ask him the questions that he was referred to 
This is the guy you got to talk to about all this. He talks to him about this guy's either lying through his teeth or he's living in a fog. But I can tell you this, that is representative of what we have going on in Secretary of State Lloyd Austin's Pentagon right now. Our military is coming apart at the seams. Every branch is lacking true leadership. You know why? It's not that the initial leaders, the ones over the grunts, and the ones that are over those that are over the grunts and so far up the line, it stops when it gets to the Pentagon. On Lloyd Austin's watch, this guy who was a total failure when he was over Central Command in Europe, over Europe and Northern Africa, back when Benghazi happened, almost all of the mistakes that cost those four Americans their lives on the streets of Benghazi happened because of direct decisions that in the heat of the moment, Lloyd Austin made and called off those that were in the air ready to go rescue these guys. He failed there. Look at what happened in Afghanistan on his watch. He was the Secretary of Defense when that failed withdrawal that he and Joe Biden put together and they rolled out. How many people lost their lives? We'll never know. We won't have any idea. As a matter of fact, here we are a year and a half later. We still have Americans that this administration, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, they left them there. They promised they would not leave, the military would not leave until every American, every one of our compadres that were there, Afghani or whoever else that had been working with us, knowing that if we left them there, the Taliban would kill them and their families just because they worked with us. Hundreds of those people are hiding in Afghanistan because because Lord Austin rejected and turned his back on the promises that this administration made. By the way, he's part of the administration. He sits in the office next to the Oval Office where the secretaries, the cabinet secretaries meet with the president regularly. Him and Joe colluded on how this was going to happen. They put it all together. A total failure. You don't think that military leaders in China, military leaders in Russia, military leaders in North Korea, military leaders in Iran, you don't think they see these things? You don't think they know these things? I'm a little podcaster from North Louisiana. I know these things. How do I know them? I do some investigation routine. I don't have access to the super secret documentation. I just go look at what's publicly available. And I hear what these people say. This guy is over a massive, multi-billion dollar entity in our military. He doesn't have a clue. You should be embarrassed that our leadership is in such tatters in Washington, D.C., especially our military. Let's move on. I told you about this school 
and what it's doing. I didn't give you the details, but you're not going to believe this. A Pennsylvania school donated to a Philadelphia gender clinic. And this clinic put on professional development trainings advising teachers on how to support transgender and gender expansive students. Now, this is according to documents obtained through a Daily Caller News Foundation public records request. The Gender and Sexuality Developmental Program at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, for short, it's CHOP, trained Pensbury School District's K-12 teachers on April 5th last year on how to create gender-inclusive and affirming educational environments. That's according to documents first made public by Daily Caller. Though CHOP did not require any payment for this, it accepted a donation of $1,200 from the school for this training. CHOP's Gender Clinic for the Youth refers kids as young as 14, listen to this, for cross-sex surgeries, including mastectomies or breast construction. Clinic employees have promoted such procedures, hormones and puberty blockers for children. During the training of K-5 through teachers, Samantha King, the manager of education initiatives at the Gender Youth Clinic, explained using a gender unicorn that while biological sex comes from genitalia, gender identity comes from the head. Educators were encouraged to use gender-neutral language such as students instead of boys and girls to include examples of LGBTQ people in their lessons and to consider ungendering class activities. The training encouraged K-5 teachers to emphasize and protect rights of all children to be themselves and suggested classroom materials such as red, a crayon story, a picture book that teaches gender identity by describing a crayon who is labeled as red, but it's actually blue. You can't make this up. In the 6th through 12th grade professional development training, King taught educators that gender exploration is normal and valid no matter the age of the the kid. Teachers were encouraged to critically examine gender roles and messages both in the present and throughout history with suggestions of books to include such as Gracefully Grayson, a novel about a boy who is a girl on the inside. The school district's director of diversity, equity, and inclusion, Dr. Charissa Gibson, reached out to King back in 2021 to organize the professional development trainings for the entire district. This was after King had met with a group of elementary school staff who were planning to support an incoming transgender kindergartner. I believe this is a great starting point for our education, not just as a school, but district-wide. That's Stephanie Holtquist, principal of Edgewood Elementary, a school within the district, wrote to the gender clinic that same year. Ahead of the presentations, Gibson referred King to the school's transgender and gender-expansive students' policy, which she asked for the training sessions to be based off of. The policy requires educators to keep a student's gender transition confidential and permit students to use the bathroom and locker room on the basis of gender 
identity. The school district policy allows students to compete in sporting events on the basis of gender ID. A workshop for Pensbury School District educators put by King reviewed the policy and explained that by age three, children can label their gender, and by age four, a kid's gender identity is stable. Teachers were given suggestions on how to respond to students if they question the gender identity of others. It is not okay to tell someone they aren't who they say they are, the workshop advised teachers. Since Sam knows herself best, if Sam says she is a girl, then that is true. Let's show kindness and respect by not questioning her. Every day now, every single day, we bring you story after story like this. It's happening nationwide. And I don't know about you, but I don't see any end in sight. I think this I think this is going to not only keep going, I think it's going to get nastier, uglier, and people, especially children, are going to die and worse from this. We're really in a bad place. One Florida Republican, Republican Representative Webster Barnaby, he went off on this. This was yesterday, on Tuesday. Barnaby likened trans people to mutants from the X-Men franchise during a debate over a bill that would require people to use bathrooms consistent with their birth sex. After a series of transgender individuals spoke out against the Safety and Private Spaces Act, during the public comment portion of the hearing, Barnaby shared his thoughts on gender ideology and slammed the protesters. Barnaby expressed shock at the state of society, stating that it's like watching an X-Men movie or Marvel comics. He stated that transgender people often present themselves in outlandish ways that are not consistent with the Christian faith. We have people that live among us today on planet Earth that are happy to display themselves as if they were mutants from another planet, he said. This is the planet Earth where God created men, male, and women, female. Barnaby touted his Christian faith while reiterating his support of mandating people use bathrooms consistent with their birth sex rather than their self-identified gender identity. The Florida representative also bemoaned the state of society, implying that it has ceded ground to dark and evil forces. I'm a proud Christian conservative Republican, he said. I'm not on the fence. Not on the fence. There is so much darkness in our world today, so much evil in our world today, and so many people who are afraid to address the evil, the dysphoria, the dysfunction, he added. I'm not afraid. He then implied that the transgender people present at the hearing were sent by Satan and referred to them as demons and imps. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, and all of you demons and all of you imps who come parade before us. That's right, I called you demons and imps who come and parade before us and pretend that you're part of this world, Barnaby said. I'm not going to put up with it. He added, you can test me and try to take me on, but I promise you I'll win every time. Let's all vote up on this bill. 
<laughs> so after Florida Republicans voted to advance the bathroom bill, Barnaby apologized for his comments on transgender people. I referred to trans people as demons, he said. I would like to apologize to the trans community for referring to you as demons. I don't know. I think the guy just had enough. And I got to be honest with you. If you have a small child, and when I say small, I mean young, a young child. If your child is going to school every day, I want you to think this through. I don't know where or how the school that your children are going to, how they handle this bathroom split up thing. But I can tell you, I don't care where they go. I don't care who they are. I don't care what age your children are. If this gender identity thing is going on at their school, your child knows about it. And I promise you, your child is confused. I don't care if mom and dad, and I trust and I believe and I hope and pray that you have filled your children's ears with facts, with the truth, and that they know you're behind them whatever comes their way. You're going to stand with them regardless. They need to know that. You need to be unwavering in that. They need to know that you're behind them and you have them no matter what. But let me encourage you. You need to find out. You need to find out exactly what's going on in the lives of your kids at their school. They spend more of their awake time at their school with their teachers and their fellow classmates than they do with us at home. That's just a fact. We see them for a little while in the morning and we see them some in the evening and then they go to sleep. They're at school from 8, 8.30 till 3, 3.30, sometimes 4, 4 or 5 o'clock, five days a week. Our teachers, our educators have more time to make impacts on your kids than you and I do with our kids at home. That should scare everybody into making every minute count. Always know what's going on with your kids. And if you don't know, ask questions. And if you ask questions, ask the right questions. And don't settle for an answer that is anything less than what you demand and whatever it takes to get facts. One more story that I wanted to bring to you, one bit of information. This may shock you. Republican Kentucky Representative Thomas Massey, who's one of the good guys, he sent letters earlier this week to senior FDA vaccine officials letting them know the House Judiciary Committee is investigating allegations that the Biden administration interfered in the FDA's authorization and licensure of the COVID-19 vaccines. Letters to Dr. Marion Gruber and Dr. Philip Krauss, both of whom resigned following Joe Biden's announcement in 2021 calling for adults to get COVID-19 booster shots, which Massey says put undue pressure on FDA health officials to quickly authorize the vaccinations. Gruber serves as the Vice President of Public Health and Regulatory Science at the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative. Philip Krauss sits on the Board of Directors of Mesoblast Incorporated. 
Gruber had been with the FDA for 32 years. Krauss had worked at the agency for more than a decade. So what's this all about? In his letter, Massey calls for records and materials relating to, one, the FDA's review, authorization, approval, and or promotion of all COVID-19 vaccines and boosters. Two, the departure of Dr. Marion Gruber and Dr. Philip Kraus from the FDA's Office of Vaccines Research and Review. And three, the identities of current or former employees who worked in the FDA's vaccine office for the period of January 1, 2020 to present. The Committee on the Judiciary's and investigation allegations into that the Biden administration interfered in the FDA's authorization and licensure of the COVID-19 vaccines. This is Massey. He wrote that. Dr. Gruber and Dr. Krauss reportedly felt the White House was getting ahead of the FDA on booster shots, disagreed with the CDC's involvement in FDA decisions. You replaced Dr. Gruber as acting director of the FDA's Office of Vaccine Research and Review. Accordingly, we believe that you possess information relating to this matter. We request your assistance with our inquiry. And one final note. Joe Biden signed the conservative bill that came to his desk to end the emergency of COVID-19. Now, why is this such a big deal? I'm going to leave you with this. The FDA, the CDC, the Biden administration all have identified Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson against any adverse reactions that happen to any person, no matter what it is, and it's tied back to them getting a COVID-19 vaccination. You can't sue Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson & Johnson. The federal government, Big Brother, stands in the gap. Do you know that not one of those three vaccines has been fully approved. Did you know that? Nobody wants to talk about it, but none of them have been fully approved by the FDA. You know why that is? The second the emergency authorization label is removed, guess what else is removed? The indemnification by the federal government. Now, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, if they have done something in their vaccines that impact you directly or your loved ones, you can sue their teeth. Go get them, folks. You guys have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. I hope you have a good evening. Sleep well. (laughs) Don't sweat about all this stuff. What difference is it going to make 100 years from now, right? There used to be a gray and tower alone on the sea. You became the light on the dark side of me. Love remains a drug that's high and not the pill. But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become alive and the light that you shine can't be seen?
much a man can tell me, so much he can say. Won't you tell me is that healthy, baby? But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become a lot and the light that you shine can't be seen? So much a man can tell me, so much he can say. You remain my power, my pleasure, my pain. To me, you're like a grown addiction that I can't deny. Now, won't you tell me, is that healthy, baby? But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become a large and the light that you shine can't be seen? Gloom on the grave.